Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Glorious Rugby Podcast. I'm your co-host, John Fitzpatrick, and joining me, as always, my fellow co-host, Alistair Kirschpool, aka P. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been able to really sit down and chat. How you been, man? What's new? I'm pretty good. Been pretty busy. Work's picked up. It's one of those you sort of, I feel like there's a whole rush of rugby in the the MLR season. I, I really get my rugby out. And then you hit the off season and it's just like, oh, wow, the rest of life still exists too. Getting ready for a college football season, which is, is interesting. It just seems to sneak up on me now. It's just like, oh, shoot, it's September. That's right. I know. And college rugby season too. I'm very excited about the fall college rugby season, particularly because much like last year, National Collegiate Rugby, NCR, they've got like their Friday night rugby, which I think is a great concept where they stream on YouTube prominent games every Friday from, I think, uh, the second week in September through like October and November. So that's always fun to pull up a chair on a Friday night and stream a little college rugby, which again, I think is great. More eyes on the game. Um, so looking forward to that. I'm a big college football fan as well. There's nothing like a college football game. you got 60,000, 70,000 people packed into a stadium. It's good stuff. Maybe one day college rugby can get there. What do you think of that? Yeah, that would be great. I would I would love that. You know, one of the things, you know, obviously my college is too far away to, to go to the games in person, but it's just nice to go into a bar and, you know, have other people know what team it is and know what how the sport works. Um, but, you know, if we can get there with college rugby, that would be great. You know, be able to roll up a tight five and have multiple other people there to talk talk about the game hang out you know cheer when things are going well that sort of stuff it would be great michigan state right that's your college football team yep so we could be trash this year but um i'm i'm hoping we're not it's it's uh could go either way well i just i gotta i gotta bring this up only because it's topical but what has happened in conference realignment in college football um, is wild, and I, and I and I get in. There's a lot of business decisions, a lot of some rivalries are going to the wayside. But you know, Michigan State, Michigan is always a classic rivalry. That game's probably going to happen no matter what, no matter if they're in the Big Ten or the oh, yeah. the Super Conference or whatever is forming. But you know, it's funny to to to, to think that a school like Cal or Stanford might be joining the Atlantic Coast Conference. <laughs> it none of it makes any sense anymore. It's it's all. I mean, in MLR, we think it's bad enough that Chicago is in the West and not the East, but man, Big Ten, Conference of the Midwest, oh, except it also has, you know, like Rutgers in New York and like Maryland in the D.C. area, it's, and then now, now we've got a couple of like California teams. It's just like, what's going on? We don't have a deep South team, and that's about it. If we were to pick up a team in Texas or like, I don't know some somewhere further south florida team maybe then then we would truly be like the this nationwide conference not too dissimilar from what is going on in, in college rugby here in the u.s um that we don't have time to cover that on this episode that don't have to be a future episode we'll have to talk with alex Goff, have him uh help us get college rugby uh figured out but um akp i did want to to bring up a couple of things here uh, it's been a couple weeks now since the men's Eagles finished up their uh, summer tour. Uh, they went one and two, certainly beating Romania. Starting off, you know, zero G rugby, free flowing, looking good. 
challenges against Portugal um, and um, uh, a strange match against Georgia. Maybe some missed opportunities there. But uh, now that you've had a couple of weeks to reflect on that, what were your overall thoughts just kind of on the tour and, and what we saw out of the men's Eagles under the new direction of uh, Sky Lawrence? Overall, I think I'm pretty positive on it. Uh, there, I mean, there were a lot of positive, very glowing um, comments after the, the Romania win, and then a lot of very negative comments after Portugal and Georgia. But I think, you know, it's, it's really soon, and he's just implementing his style. He's still finding the players who are going to work best in that, that style. I, I don't think... I mean, there may be a few players who've who've really solidified themselves but for the most part i think he's keeping an open mind about the players who are going to be able to play and who the best options are going to be and i think he'll figure it out over time and honestly it was nice to just see something different see a game style that that really seems to suit the players we've got to suit the strengths that we've got as a, a nation and i i want to see more of it i i'm going to be excited for the november tests to come up i'm going to be excited to see what this team can do in the future and i think it will be better than where we have been in the past i mean i think we we held out well against georgia like georgia famous for big burly dudes in the forwards and our forwards matched them like we couldn't get it together on offense we couldn't we couldn't attack in a way a consistent way that that really threatened them but defensively we were solid and you know, you you get a little bit more potent of an attack in there. You get, you know, no offense to Cardi, you get a good dynamic fly half. You you get a you know a bit better fullback, and you you sort out some things. You could really make. Uh, you, we could have beaten them. We could we could certainly have challenged them. You know, certainly made it a, a close game. Like they're not out of reach, and I think that is extremely encouraging. Um. And as far as, you know, I want to get to the, the OGDC players. I mean, we only had one on this tour because um, a bunch bunch of players injured and all that. Jack Scarrow, though, looked great in the front row. He seems to have really locked in that loose head prop role, that starting role. Now, we'll see. And I think, actually, with David Ainu, he's moving over to tight head, so... And he was really the the big challenge to Ascaro in that starting role. So we could see Ascaro just be the the default starting loose head, which I I think is pretty cool. And you can see it on the field. He really, I mean, he, you know, I think he's he's got room to grow, obviously, but his scrummaging is just at such a high level already that it's it's really really cool to see. And then I think there's opportunities for other old glory players too. I mean, you've got. I don't think the eight position was really locked down in this tour. I think that was a a position of some inconsistency. So, you know, Jamma gets healthy, comes back. He could definitely take that, that position again for himself and, and make it his own. And I think at fullback, too, if, if Dabulis can come back and, and get healthy and knock the rust off and, and sort of refine his his old form, I think, you know, the, the fullback position is really unsettled there wasn't a clear no one clearly staked a claim to that position uh, mitch wilson looked really shaky and um, matina looked decent but inconsistent so i think 
you know, there's opportunities for the old glory players who weren't in the, the lineup this time to to break back in. Yeah, and, and let's not forget that Colin Gross, right, was part of that larger player pool, you know, in contention, competing for a spot there at, at either lock or, or flanker. Um, so that's encouraging to see. But, I mean, you're right. I thought the old glory DC players, you know, of course, I think Escar. Escar, how old is he? He's only like what, twenty four, twenty five. He's twenty five. Yeah, twenty five. Right. So, like, you, theoretically, right in the front row there, with experience and game time, and <laughs> I know I'm getting ahead of myself. He could be around for twenty thirty one. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, anchoring anchoring down there, one hundred percent. He'd be, he'd be know, an old with, veteran with by that point. He'd be the the grizzled front row veteran but you know that's what you want in a world cup well that supports the the research project that you did um in late spring just talking about uh, domestic players and you know positions of strength seemingly in in six seven years from now that's really going to be uh hopefully if players stay healthy but a guy like jack holding that down for six seven years with the opportunity to play in front of a home crowd in a 2031 rugby world cup that would be amazing and and jamma too jamma's what 28 29 yeah yeah late 20s so he he'll make it to 2027 certainly i don't know if he'll be around yeah. 2031 that may be yeah. a stretch but a stretch but i mean the reason why he didn't play in this summer tour was just you know he was playing all pretty much all of the end of last season with a hurt shoulder yeah. um banging bodies around there I, I can't imagine just the pain tolerance some people on reddit didn't seem to believe that he was injured trust me he was injured <laughs> And, and the way he plays, it's not like he can hold anything back, right? Like that's just like he's his, you know, his he he plays aggressive, he plays hard, uh, and that means sacrificing your body and rocks and tackles and stuff and, and driving forward with the ball. That um, yeah, it. I'm sure it pained him not to be able to be out there on the field representing the U.S. there, but I'd rather him get healthy, get mended for the 2024 MLR season and and onwards, you know, and be part of that player pool for the 2027 Rugby World Cup. But bring up another player, Dabulis. Right, here's a guy who, man, just tough luck the past two years, right? Coming back from a couple of knee injuries. Um, I mean, selfishly, right, as an OGDC fan, you want to see him out there. And, you know, he, Cap Eagle, he brings something extra. And I think you're right there. I think we had – there were some – I think our the backs maybe the back three got exposed a little bit in some of those games. Portugal, you know, they're, that's their game. That's the, they they play a, a dynamic. They've got a lot of backs that can run and do things creatively. Uh, and just just need more options there. Um, but I just hope Mike can get healthy, right, and, and string together and get confidence back in the knee and his body and, and string together some some healthy seasons because he he is an asset uh, for both the men's Eagles and Old Glory uh, DC. So. And, and, you know, look, Colin Gross had a great rookie season for Old Glory DC. I think there's more to see out of him. And, hey, you know, another guy for Old Glory who played a little bit, but Koi Koi Nelligan, you know, he continues to develop as a hooker. You know, his future is bright. And let's keep going. Mike Ware, man, I'm, 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 maybe we'll see some more Mike uh, this year in the 2024 season. I know we're, we're backing out from the men's Eagles here a little bit. But, but are we? Yeah, good question. Are we? Because... I mean, you know, Luke Carty, I, Luke Carty looked fine, just but just fine. He looked unimpressive at, at fly half. I mean, he he didn't make a lot of mistakes, and that's that's really the best that can be said about him. So, you know, if if Mike Weir is talented and can 
you know, take his step next year and then take a, a bigger step the year after that, he could break into that Eagles squad. There's, you know, McGinty isn't going to last forever. And, and behind him, what is there at the moment? You know, there's Cardi, there, who is reliable and and but not impressive and you know there's there's really a spot open if if someone can break through and be impressive and that could be Mike Weir I mean he's got a ways to go I don't know if he'll get there but he certainly could yeah absolutely there's potentially a couple of players in in MLR that may qualify um, domestically I think David Koitzer is pretty close Houston Flyhalf who would be you know a nice addition but um, you know just the overarching goal of 2027 and 2031 and developing domestic American fly halves. You know, Mike Ware would be a great story. Max Schumacher, drafted by Houston, would be a tremendous story and just kind of reaffirming that there's talent here, there's potential here, there's the coaching staff that can help elevate these players' games um, a little bit. So certainly a lot more to come. But AKP, let's take a step back here, right? I think the, the, the bigger picture in all of this, and it's, hey, great, the men's Eagles had a three-match tour in a year, a couple of weeks before um, the Rugby World Cup, of which they did not qualify, right? They were going to get matches on the schedule because obviously teams who are preparing for the Rugby World Cup are going to want to play someone. So the men's Eagles were there waiting, right? Like, no-brainer that that was going to happen. And certainly there should be some some matches in this November test at the end after the Rugby World Cup. But the bigger picture is just more game time right for the players more time for the men's eagles to come together and train right because if you look at what like england and france do right and i could be completely off base or wrong on this but it seems like when they get together for camp they're together for like a month 40 days right it seems a little bit longer when they're preparing for some of this stuff and in the off season even when they're not necessarily playing tests it seems like they get together more regularly and the result of that is probably just they've got more resources although the english rugby game is struggling a little bit well as well but i think the point that i'm trying to get at is that you know and this idea that i want to expand on a little bit more it's not an original idea this is not my idea you know you go on the mlr subreddit you can see other people have talked about this before usa rugby um subreddit others have talked about this but like hey how can we try and get the men's eagles the whole entire player pool right 23 30 whatever 40 players together play more regularly in a, in a competition, right? And if you just look in our region of the world, particularly if you look in South America, right, in Super Rugby Americas, there were two teams down there that were essentially the national team. Chile's team was Selknam in, um, um, in Super Rugby Americas. I think Uruguay's was Peñarol. Maybe I'm, I'm, I might have that wrong. But essentially, they were using those pro clubs as the national team, right? So... All those players were playing week in, week out, training together for 16, 17, 18 weeks. And then, of course, that would transfer over when the national team played. Why can't we try and spin off that concept here in the U.S., in MLR? And again, not an original idea, but why not enter a side in Major League Rugby that is all men's eagles, right? And I get it. That means taking some of the best players from all of the other clubs and you know, teams might not like that. Fans might not like that. But if, if, if we're talking developing the men's Eagles, why not get all of the top domestic men's Eagles, just that player pool, on one team playing week in and week out in Major League Rugby? You can figure out some 
trading of players back and forth. There can be a revenue share, you know, for, for the other clubs to make sure everyone's, you know, profiting off of this essential all-star team competing in Major League Rugby. But what is stopping MLR and USA Rugby for getting a, a team together like that and having them compete again week in and week out, and essentially drawing crowds to watch them come out and play. Is, is the idea just too crazy? Or is it, do we have to think unconventionally a little bit here if we really want to make some gains? I mean, I really like this idea. I uh, There are a lot of complications with it. You'd have to work a lot of stuff out. But, you know, you could just have a a USA squad that's that's traveling around. And, you know, maybe for competitive reasons, you don't want it to to count towards a team you know if they lose to the usa maybe you don't want that to count against them or you know maybe they you don't necessarily let them in the championship or something like that the playoffs um but you could i feel like you could do you could make it work for them you could and it becomes sort of an exhibition game in the middle of the season for the teams that they're playing but that's not bad either i think it's kind of a problem for mlr that Every game in the season counts so much that you have to play, you know, full bore all the time, or you have to sacrifice a game like we did against Houston last year, where we just, you know, at the end of the season, we were already in the playoffs. And so we just, you know, we tanked that game against Houston, played a bunch of the of guys who, you know, were lower down on the depth chart. So we just, we needed to give our starters rest and give them some experience so it could it could be a really cool idea to to have them play around. And, you know, they would get to play some of the top players from around the world. You know, we've got a lot of good foreign players that are in MLR. I don't think it would hurt the teams too much. I mean, most teams only have a, a handful of Eagles anyway, you know, two or three maybe. And if the USA team kept their you know, kept it to like a travel squad size, you know, 25, maybe 30 players, but with the ability to call up more players as they, um, as they needed to, then you could, you know, it wouldn't necessarily have to impact teams too much. And you'd get all these MLR fans that become familiar with the names of the, the players on this squad. They'd really know the Eagles in and out. They'd be able to see them performing against other players in the league. And you'd, you'd really get a good sense of, like, are these the right players? The coaches would get a good sense of it. Yeah, I, I, like, I really like the idea. I mean, look, there's a, there's a million reasons why it can't work or won't work, and, and that's fine. You know, what I want to try and essentially do is maybe just write, like, an open letter to MLR and USA Rugby and just kind of lay out, you know, build a case for, for why it makes sense and then let people weigh in. Like, okay, Pick it apart. Like, uh, who, who cares if it's a stupid idea? Pick it apart. Don't just say, oh, it's a bad idea. It'll never work. Tell us why, right? So we can pick it apart and improve upon it because ultimately the men's Eagles are going to need to play more games, more consistently. The players are going to need to be together more consistently, and that's going to take a lot of money and investment. And don't know where that's coming from right now. Yes, I know World Rugby is, is devoted more money. You know, seemingly there's a a person or maybe running things or dictating things a little bit. I could have that entirely wrong. But to really get some meaningful time together, it can't be just, hey, you know, before a tour, we're going to get together for two weeks, 
three weeks maybe train you've got a testing ground of major league rugby right here in the backyard like get a club get all of them together and play so again i i might do this i might just kind of write a i might need your help on this just write an open letter lay out the the case for it and then hey everyone pick it apart or improve it help us make this happen and, and maybe usa rugby and ml are like huh okay like let's let's think unconventionally here a little bit let's try things a little bit differently because the sport is in a different place than soccer and major league soccer right like i know everyone likes to compare major league rugby to major league soccer but it's an apples and oranges comparison in my mind because at the grassroots level soccer is seemingly like the very first sport that every like four or five year old plays right and it just seems like it's at a mask participation level it's far higher than rugby like rugby can potentially get there at one point in the u.s but the clubs and the teams and high schools and college and youth it's just built up so much more seemingly so much easier for kids uh, to play soccer well and always will be yeah because i mean you know maybe maybe some basic form of touch for kids but it's one of those where you know soccer has the advantage that it's a ball and it's a field and it's very easy to tell kids the rules like keep the ball in bounds kick it through the goal like that's it that's you know you don't physical contact is limited you're not allowed to just shove people around or tackle them so i think rugby as a contact sport is always going to have a different uphill battle there where it's only going to be the the people who are willing to take the hits who are going to play it and that's that's a fundamental difference now you can get people throwing around the ball i think touch rugby is great and you know you could expand upon that but that's that's not the same as as rugby as it's played by the mlr so i i feel like you're never going to quite have the grassroots and you need to find other ways to to make things work all right that's that's my challenge to myself akp maybe this that'll be a little thing we do early fall here piece that together and we'll share that out widely and, and essentially it's just a white paper <laughs> everyone please weigh in tell us why it won't work help us figure out how it could work let's let's just talk about it let's just throw it out there it's a thought experiment let's just chat about it see how we, it can go yeah. you know if it leads to nothing it leads to nothing i'd love to get some numbers into it too you know some specific you know how much would this cost at least ballpark like what what order of magnitude are we talking cost here? Because I think there's a lot of discussions that end up, you get what people sort of guess, that people just guess at things, or people just assume that, you know, oh, the cost would be too high. And it's like, okay, would it be? What is the actual cost? Is there a way you could make it work? Are there ways you could save money or ways you could make more money? And, you know, I, I'd love to see this idea fully fleshed out. It's bounded out. upon that on the business sense of it, right? So you've got to essentially and, you know, the men's eagles at the MLL club, no matter where they play, right, they can be based, let's have a home base, let's say Charlotte, right? Or it's seemingly that's where the USA Hawks are, are doing. And I know Charlotte was actually a city that is, is up for expansion or is linked there. But wherever they play their road games, they're going to be a draw, right? Like... <laughs> rugby fans in those markets that are playing the men's eagles whether it's houston or, or miami or toronto you know la now you know name them new york they're going to be a draw wherever they go right seemingly there's going to be more tickets sold seemingly there's potentially more merchandise seemingly more 
you know, beverages or like refreshments, all that stuff that goes with the game day experience, seemingly there will be some more revenue coming in. So there's got to be a way, right, for more rev share so that MLR um, owners of teams are, are, the teams are being compensated and they're, they're benefiting financially from this, this touring squad that would be an MLR club that, you know, let's figure that all out too, right? Let's present the case for why it is a no-brainer. And look, it's not going to be a perfect solution. Nothing <laughs> never is a, is a slam dunk to steal a different sports analogy. But I'm like, why not put it out there? Let's see. So. Yeah. And, and these ideas can, you know, unless someone really works them out and puts the effort into getting them out there, they just, they just sit around and get talked about. Never, really never go anywhere. anywhere exactly you know seemingly and in the meantime you know the men's eagles now were what ranked 18th in the world two and a half years ago we were 12th or 13th right we had a successful run with gary gold where they had won like eight or nine test matches the american rugby championship which needs to come back they had seemingly i think they had won that again for the second consecutive year had a had an interesting 2019 rugby world cup where they you know played france tight for 60 minutes and were in a bunch of other games but like since then i mean if you look back over the last three and a half four years i know COVID has disrupted a lot of things but that can't be an excuse anymore look at what's going on elsewhere i mean it seems like we're we're going backwards you know like we're losing ground and we're losing like we should beat romania every single time there's no reason why um we should lose to romania we shouldn't like that should just be common practice where u.s is expected to win that game and win that game portugal they they took it to us but that's a team that we should be competitive with i mean we you know what we tied them in the final qualification tournament should have beat them teams like chile like phenomenal their success and i cheer that on because i think it's a model uruguay i think that's a model for for the u.s but at the same time i mean we're i feel like we're falling behind them and it's because they've got they've got squads that are playing in super rugby's america you know week in and week out for 16 17 18 weeks no wonder they're getting better yeah yeah it's a really good point we got to do something akb if we're the guys that get it <laughs> me and you scott lawrence and the players would actually have to play. Yeah. I mean, it, it would make for a pretty long year for, for those uh, players. Oh, yeah. But. I mean, certainly we've got to weigh the player health and safety concerns, and that's got to be considered, and that will be part of the proposal, right? But uh, more to come on on that. All right, AKP, I want to cover a little bit more in-depth uh, Major League Rugby over the last couple of weeks. Certainly they had their collegiate draft a couple of weeks ago. Again, I, I like the draft. I, there's some issues with it, of course, but as a, as a purely American sports event, I think the average sports fan understands what a collegiate draft is, what it's about. They see the NFL draft. and know the NBA draft, NHL, MLB, although MLB draft is crazy. I think MLR would like it to get to the point where it's like an NFL draft where it's three days, it's at a destination city, people come and go, there's parties, there's festivities, you know, it's a, it's a way to raise the profile of players. But if you look at the draft just a couple of weeks ago, Old Glory DC did not have any draft picks. AKP, why didn't they have any draft picks uh, this year? They didn't have any draft picks because they traded them for draft picks last year. I mean, we, we definitely won the draft last year, and it's partly because we had five picks, and we essentially six picks when you consider we traded for um, Nelligan. So you look if you look at it that way, we, we traded a, 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 the draft this year for an amazing draft last year, and 
that's the way it goes. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I think we traded, um, we traded to get a couple extra draft picks in that draft. And then our last draft pick from this year, we, when Jack Manzo decided not to join the team, we traded that to San Diego for Nelligan, Coin Nelligan, who they drafted. So, so that's that's where all our draft yeah, picks went. Absolutely, and you know it's interesting with it, you know with the new the new coach coming in and, and, and Simon Cross, um, and you know he's going to have a say on new system, new strategy. It will be interesting to see, you know, what players come and go. But I think there's a like you mentioned, there's a good core nucleus there, right? It starts with with Jack, our boy Jackie. Who's playing with the men's Eagles and, and Colin Gross and you know there's a number of, of good young players Martinez who was drafted last year Koi Koi Nelligan so I think a, a young nucleus to to build around uh, and obviously that veteran steady presence but if you just look across the Major League Rugby draft um, a couple of players I just want to point out and we brought up his name earlier but Max Schumacher Cal fullback fly half who was drafted by Houston number two overall played both in college with fullback and, and fly half i'd love for houston to try and develop him as a fly half if he can slot in behind davy Koitzer and just kind of learn from him get some game time here and there 20 15 20 minutes a game winning if needed that would be awesome you know, i think he's a type of player who he'll probably more likely get on the field as the as a fullback but would love to see houston try and and develop him as a fly because look they traded their their other fly half Robbie Povey up to to the arrows so seemingly there seems to be a, a role on the team for Schumacher so that'd be a great story um, a couple other players I want to call out uh, number one overall to the Miami Sharks who I th- thought they had a pretty interesting draft considering no idea you know how they're going to put their roster together other than you know we, we feel like there's going to be a strong Argentine influence um, we've seen some of that already they've, they've also signed a number of Uruguayan internationals who have some big names one of which Manuel Ardao who's a flanker who's I think 24 25 he was a captain of a super rugby America's team like he's legit so he's going to be scary on that uh, Miami team but they drafted Ricky Rose a lock out of St. Bonaventure like 6'7", like 245, 250, seemingly like your classic lock, right? Big, tall guy, has a motor, can move around. What do you think there, AKP, on, um, on a drafting a lock like that? Is there is there like a, a Sam Gala path there, or is that a position where you can bring a big athletic guy in and hopefully start him? Because Miami's going to have to start some domestic players. There's only so many international players they can put on their match at day 23. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it makes me think about when we drafted Casey Renault and um, what our coach said at the time is you just you can't teach height, you know, <laughs> it's which is sort of a classic statement. You know, you, you get a guy who's tall like that. And if he has the talent and the, the speed as well, then I mean, that's pretty much a locked in success. He might. I mean, will he make it to the Eagles? Who knows it? It's impossible to say, um, but yeah, if he's a decent player, he should he should be able to get some match time, and especially Miami. You know, they've got a lot of big name signings and a lot of really, you know, the sort of players you look at and you go, "Ooh, we're gonna have to." Old Glory's gonna have to face that next year, and you're you're not excited for it. But the, you know, the we saw that sort of in Chicago last year too, and 
Chicago did not have a great year, and it's because they didn't have the debt. It's because they had some stars and then a bunch of players who were probably should have been backups, should have been coming off the bench, or should have been the replacement guy that you only play when someone else is injured. And I think it's going to be interesting to see who fills out the depth in Miami, who who are the backups, who are the, you know, who's number 24 on the roster and that that sort of stuff. And I think if they have, if they can really fill in that depth well, then they'll have a good team. And if, if they can't, they could be one of those, you know, a lot of potential, but not a lot of winning. A couple other players I want to bring up, um, only because it's topical, but Rugby Town 7s was this past weekend, and there were three players who played for the USA U23 squad, and they won uh, the tournament. They went undefeated. They beat a NAV 7s team that was really strong. Um, but there were three players who were drafted by MLR teams, and I want to bring them up real quick because they played particularly uh, well, Oren Beezer, uh, flanker from Life, who was drafted by um, the Houston Sabercats, played really well. Noah Brown, drafted by the Chicago Hounds, had a good tournament. And then Will Chevalier from the New England Free Jacks also played particularly well. But what's interesting about those players is that, you know, bright future, seemingly ahead of them right on the seventh side, drafted in MLR. You know, will those MLR clubs allow them or not allow them but like will the players have to make a decision about do they want to continue to go down the sevens route or or can they do both sevens and and 15 so it'll be interesting to see what happens there and and if those players will play at the mlr level but it, it was just cool to see them play particularly well in that tournament knowing that they're they have the potential to to we may see them in in major league rugby in 2024 yeah. Final final note on the the draft I wanted to point out is just how many fly halves were taken. Um, I think it was four fly halves overall, and I think three of them were in the first round, if I remember correctly. And you know, doing that 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 numbers project, there's only a you know a dozen, if that, U.S. qualified fly halves in the league overall. And like, even if you count the players who didn't play, you know, there's only there's only four, <laughs> a handful who who actually played any real number of minutes. But you know, that's a so that's a lot of of fly halves coming out of the draft, and we'll see if any of them end up playing fly half. It could be that they're drafted because you know I feel like ta- at college level, if you're the most talented player on the team, you're probably playing fly half. If you're not in the front row, or you know, obviously not built for it, but. You know, if you're a back and you're talented, you're probably the fly half just because that's where you need the most talent. And so it's it could be that these players aren't naturally fly halves and they'll end up playing full back or wing or center or something else. But if if even one or two of them work out and turn into a decent domestic fly halves, that could be Absolutely. really, really cool. Absolutely. And, you know, I love the different strategies that the teams are, are implementing when it comes to building their rosters. There's so many ways to do it. Academy, international signing. Um, certainly, the the collegiate draft is is a fun way to do it. Um, and you know, as they put it all together, you know, there'll be a lot more player signings in the MLL MLR off season that we're excited to track, and particularly as they relate to Old Glory DC. But AKP, final thoughts here, man. Close this out. Give us your final thoughts for the episode. 
I feel like we've seen a lot of good things recently. I feel like the draft was, by and large, a success. I think we're seeing the Eagles move in the right direction. I feel like we're seeing a lot of good opportunities for old glory players to to get into the Eagles and to to play at the highest level. And I'm pretty pretty optimistic about everything, really, which is surprising. I'm not usually. Usually there's something that causes me concern, but right now, and this is a classic off-season statement, it's the season of optimism. I love it. I love the optimism coming from AKP. For my co-host, I am John Fitzpatrick. You've been listening to the Glorious Rugby Podcast. We'll catch you next week. Until then. Bye.